I used to be Not when you brush every day with A special plastic Welcome to episode four of HPTV. I'm James Michael, and I'm joined by Brendan. Hey, Brendan, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm very excited to record this episode because I really want to watch the next episode of Twin Peaks. <laughs> and I didn't think I would be in this position when we started. How does it feel that you... So you would agree that you're hooked? For now. For now, For now I am. I hope it can ride this energy, this like wave of weirdness that's really like piqued my interest. So we'll see. We've got like four more episodes left. Yes. And we still have quite a while until you even find out who killed Laura. So really? Oh, yes. It, it, you do not find out in season one. You don't find out in season one? No, no. I could tell you the episode number, but that would spoil it. I changed my mind. This is garbage. <laughs> Is this going to be like some lost level of bullshit? No. You promise me. I promise. Is there like light at the end of this tunnel? Will I actually get to my destination or will it all be for nothing? There will still be questions, but the the main questions that need to be answered are answered. The other questions are the ones that are fun, form your own theory, what is the red room actually, and things like that. I know what the word red room is. Oh, you do? Yes. Care to elaborate? When we get there. Okay. We'll all there. will be revealed in due time. Okay. I, I, I have no idea. I'm going to assume the red room is some, like, dream dimension that's shared by, like, weird psychonauts that, like, dream travel. It's a very interesting idea. There. Okay, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. Have you been uh, partaking in anything out of interest lately? No, no, not really. I've been I've been going crazy with getting these episodes ready on a weekly basis. It's been a trip because I, I, I want to like put out good shit for our listeners. And I know Twin Peaks has like a very enthusiastic fan base. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to like disappoint anyone. Have I watched anything over the weekend? I watched some anime actually, now that I think of it. I've been watching My Hero Academia, I think. Yeah. Isn't there like a thousand episodes of that? Or am I thinking are, of One Piece? There are. There are like a thousand episodes of that. I also started watching Inuyasha for some reason. I have no idea why. Did you um, ever watch that? No, I, ne- I never really got into anime. Um, I don't know why. Well, Inuyasha is like trash tier, but everyone's nostalgic for it. Hmm. And it also has like a million episodes. It was like one of those late night tsunami animes. I wanted to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in forever. God, I, as a kid, I, I think the reason why I didn't like anime was because I would get pissed that on Saturdays, Adult Swim would end and Toonami would start. Oh my God. And that I was just like wanted the best part. I just wanted to keep watching Adult Swim. And I think that may be the reason why I never got into anime because of, uh, a young bias. 
So what shows on Adult Swim did you like really like? Um uh, well, I know, like it, the really weird ones. Like like the like the ones that are like just fifteen minutes long. The Venture Brothers is good. Um Aqua Teen, great. Robot Chicken, classic. Um Did you ever watch like Xavier Renegade Angel? Yes. yes. Or like Lucy, Daughter of the Devil? I haven't seen that one um I, now there's a show i don't know if it was on adult swim but there was a show called wonder chosen oh my god i love that one i think that was on mtv yes okay yeah that was mtv um i i love shows like that but no uh, uh xavier renegade angel that was like the weird bird man with like a yes. snake for a hand yeah that that show fucks me up i think it's on uh it's on max yeah i haven't watched it but I did watch it when it was out. Like, I haven't rewatched it. So I don't know if it holds up or not. I know it was in that weird, like, old school, like, Sony PlayStation 1 graphics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about Moral Oral? I couldn't get into that. I love Moral Oral. Do you remember back in the day when Futurama was on Toonami? Not Toonami, Adult Swim? Uh, I think so. Because wouldn't it be, starting 10 o'clock, it would be, like, Family Guy at least in my time there'd be like family guy american dad i guess then futurama and then it would switch over to uh two episodes back to back of robot chicken and then i think aqua Teen, then moral oral and i yeah i just wasn't a fan of that one i need to start watching aqua Teen, hunger force i feel like that's due for a rewatch for me i think we're getting a final season soon right or did it just end I don't know. There was a reason that I started rewatching it a few months ago, but I can't remember why. I find it funny that it takes place in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I mean, that's pretty much an average day here. We are two letters deep into our contest, our giveaway. There'll be a new letter released in this episode. And let me tell you, these people are crazy on instagram insane i think we've gotten almost 900 entries no fucking way damn i was really not expecting this many people to to like get involved but here we are they really want that box set i don't blame them it's very nice how's your email inbox looking bad (laughs) bad very bad but (laughs) thankfully thankfully i have like a little folder that it all just funnels into naturally Oh, okay okay um but <laughs> we'll see what it's like in a week when all four clues are out. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a full-on Mortal Kombat style fight for that box set. <laughs> I mean, if the listeners are good, I do have a second one that we might give away if we start a season two of Twin mm-hmm. Peaks. I mean, if you want to find out who the killer is, we have to start a season two. <laughs> But will we cover it? That that's the question. Like I'm gonna watch it. We'll see. We'll see, we'll see. how how well this takes off. So yeah, we are now on episode three. The episode's called Zen or the Skill to Catch a Killer. And the official IMDB description is Ben Horn's brother, Jerry, arrives in Twin Peaks. Together they travel to One Eyed Jacks and meet with the madam, Blackie O'Reilly. Audrey leaves a clue for Cooper. Deputy Hawk finds a bloody towel near the crime scene. And that's all we get. That's pretty spot on. Honestly, I've watched this episode twice. I have no idea what clue Audrey left for Cooper. Um, 
I th- was it something very subtle? Because I it went right over my head, and I watched it again right before we started recording tonight, and I did not catch it again. Uh, I f- feel like I wrote something down. Well, as as I go through my notes, if I if I find what I wrote, I'll I'll, okay. I'll bring it up. Um, so the uh, if you watch the episode with the log lady intro, uh, she goes on as usual a little bit of a of a of a tangent, and you're wondering how she's going to kind of wrap it up. And she ends this intro by saying, and it kind of perfectly encapsulates the streaming description of uh, of this episode and she says some ideas come in the form of a dream and that directly correlates to what we see uh, Cooper doing in the woods with the uh, with the other officers later on I I need to like find a YouTube clip of these intros because I feel like I'm missing out yeah I, I'm I'd, I'd be surprised if they weren't up there somewhere so the episode starts with a very weird dinner scene okay are they in like a cave? It's like a medieval cabin. The strangest aesthetic that does not fit with this show, I don't think, at all. I I think that's probably their personal... Because I, I would assume that they either have a section of the lodge that is theirs only, or they have... I would assume probably they have a separate mansion somewhere else because they're obviously loaded. And yeah, I think that this is just his personal design scheme for his uh dining room it's it's almost dungeon like at this point it's very dark and all four of them are sitting there uh jerry's there in this gigantic native american headdress um no 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 that's That's uh not jerry Jerry, the brother um yeah yeah the brother whose name i forget johnny johnny yeah yeah johnny's the one that he's sitting in this gigantic headdress (laughs) And um, the mom is there, Ben is there, and Audrey's there. We meet this guy named Jerry who just storms in. What a character. Yeah, he's very, like, loud. Oh, yeah. It's like a a fucking tornado just pulls right into the the dining room. Oh, wait, you know, now that I think about it, they have to be at the hotel because the concierge people from the hotel bring Jerry's luggage into the dining room. That's right. Because not only are they lugging his luggage, but they're also lugging sandwiches. Mm-mm. So yeah, Ben starts declaring Jerry's back from Paris. Jerry happens to be Ben's brother, Aubrey's uncle. He starts unpacking his luggage and he takes out large sandwiches of brie and butter. Have you ever had that before? No. Is that like it, a normal sandwich? No, but I, I feel like on a on a warm baguette because he pulled those out of his suitcase and... I know that from New York to Paris, it's, it's like six, six and a, it's six and a half hours, and so add the what the six hours it takes to get to Washington from here. So those have been in a suitcase at the very least for twelve hours. Gross. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it does look good. Like the baguettes look good. They do. They do. Ben goes like in on these sandwiches. <laughs> you know he he. I think one of my notes is he just devours the sandwich. In oh, the weirdest like way savage. possible, too. Like, he eats it crazy. From the top down. <laughs> yes. And then, like, randomly he starts eating it from the middle. <laughs> but uh, evidently these sandwiches are great because Ben is also, like, obsessed with these sandwiches. But um, I just 
found it weird that the episode starts with food. They're all eating, and then all of a sudden he's obsessing with these butter and brie sandwiches. Um, so, yeah, I I definitely want to try it too. Maybe that's something we could do for the podcast one day. Oh, that would be fun. Um, so Ben asks Jerry to go outside, and they start talking, and they get straight to business. Um, he mentions Leland's daughter was murdered, and that the Norwegians left. Right away, Jerry asks, "Did they sign?" Ben responds, the deal is off. Um, so clearly they're pretty uh, focused on the fact that they lost the deal. But um, right away he mentions Laura's, Laura's death again and he goes, now I'm depressed. <laughs> Wait, what do you say about Leland's daughter? Ah, uh, now I'm depressed. It's, yeah. He says, now I'm depressed. It, this, uh, I think Jerry is one of my favorite characters in this show. He has such a grand entrance. He literally burst through the the dining room door uh, everything about his character is so grating and i love it he must have known laura then yes yeah uh yeah yeah he knew laura so um so now that he says that he's depressed ben right away implies that he can get him set up with a new girl that used to work the perfume counter so they kind of take a motorboat somewhere can we and talk we find about out how, later on how, it's like how gorgeous that boat is? We only got to see it for like a minute, I think. Yeah, we don't and, get this we don't get to see much of it, but it's this like beautiful finished it, it's long. It's a long boat, very skinny, and it's this like beautiful mahogany finished wood. It is it's a gorgeous boat. The fact that they have to take a boat to get to this place to me is kind of crazy. Well, yeah, so we do find out that it is in Canadian waters. Yeah. Is Honestly, prostitution legal cool. in Canada? Do we know? Uh, I, I do not know. Um, but I'm do we know if this is just a straight up casino and there's just like on the DL prostitutes? Um, well, so, you know, that that's something that I was also kind of wondering because th this casino is one of my blind spots of things I don't remember too much of. I know at some point we do get to see some casino-related things here, uh, but uh, Ben has a line later on that says, um, I didn't come here to lose my shirt, I came here to take it off. So I, obviously, you know, uh, I, I would say that gambling is gambling is the highlight of what is supposed to be here. So let's jump a little forward. Because once they arrive to this quote-unquote casino, they're greeted by these girls that are like dressed up as playing cards almost. That's at least what I saw when I looked at them. They look like playing cards. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I even think one of them was wearing a spade. I'll have to go back and relook at that, but uh, I like that. At least in my mind, it translated to playing cards. There was a lot of red and black. The madam was head to toe black, uh, but the rest, the 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 sex workers that were available were dressed like playing cards. I, I kind of want to take this point. Uh, once once they're inside at the bar, th this is one of my favorite moments of the episode. Uh, uh, Jerry walks up to the bartender, says, "Sweetheart, I'd like to order two drinks: one double scotch on the rocks, and my brother would like a double scotch on the rocks." And she says. That's two double scotch on the rocks. And he says, next stop, rocket science. He's such a fucking dickhead. 
I didn't understand this joke. <laughs> Can you explain it to me? Did I... it make... But also, it's like, why wouldn't you just order two double scotch on the rocks? He's he's a quirky dude. He's a quirky little dude, and he has to make up for his. Uh, I I think he's he's a very insecure person. Um, you know, when we first see him, he comes bringing gifts in in the form of food. Um, he has a lot of money. This this big deal that he just had is on the line, and I just think that his his character is a very insecure person. So he makes up for it by being the loudest person in the room. Definitely. So while he's ordering this drink, the lineup of women come out and they're like in mm-hmm. lingerie and the madam comes over and Ben starts quoting Shakespeare at her. Oh, that that's Shakespeare. I honestly, I didn't know it at first. Mm. Um, it seemed very like Midsummer Night's Eve to me because he mentions summer. Um, but then I Googled it and yes, it is a Shakespeare quote. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not going to read it, but in the middle of a very huge chunk of Shakespeare, Jerry comes in and interrupts, asking about the new girl that he was promised. Oh, yeah. That, and, was, kind of, that was kind of a dick move. <laughs> yeah, because he's kind of like very poetically serenading the madam. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they, they have a thing for each other. And Jerry's like, where's the new girl? Where's and they flip a coin to see who's going to get her. And Jerry loses. Ben gets her. And he kind of like saunters towards her. And they make off to the room. And she, this this poor girl, she looks so sad and scared. And it's really hard to watch. And I, I think you can find these moments of humanity in Ben and in Jerry. But at the end of the day, they're going to go take advantage of this scared woman who is now in the sex and the sex trade she definitely did not look willing no no now that it's midnight like they make it a point to show us on the clock james and don are talking and james doesn't believe they should feel guilty for being together because in the prior episode remember donna was definitely wrestling with guilt Mm -hmm. because she felt that she basically screwed over or betrayed her best friend Laura. Do you believe James when he says that? Or do you think he's just trying to get it in? I Like he's willing to say whatever. I I think I I think I believe him because I deep down he really does love Laura and in the process of falling in love with her, he also just happened to fall in love with Donna as well. <laughs> Do they really need to feel guilty, though? Because clearly Laura was doing her own thing. Oh, no, that, that that's completely true. Um, and I they're think, kids, like, really? It's yeah, like, whatever. How serious I, can it be when you're in high school? I think, if anything, they should feel guilty about the lying. Correct. I, I agree <laughs> with that. So they, they start making out on the sofa and, you know, pans away. We assume they're they're doing the dirty. David Lynch, you're a coward for not showing it. <laughs> so Dale Cooper walks into his hotel room and he toots his whistle. Still has that goddamn whistle. He does a, a number of very like cute things. <laughs> very like awkwardly cute. That just seem abnormal. Um, and the phone rings and he picks it up and it's Hawk. 
They talk about Ronette and how she's still not all there yet. And we find out she recently quit her job at the perfume counter. Mm-hmm. Hawk mentioned that he saw a one-armed man snooping around the intensive care unit and Dale tells him to keep a watch on her at all times. So here we are again with the perfume counter. And with the one-armed the, man. And the one-armed man. And, While know, he's having this conversation and he hangs up, a note is slipped under Dale's door. And the note says, Jack with one eye. Then Dale sniffs the note. And he kind of makes a, a, a face. I'm assuming it smelt perfuming. Because it seemed like it smelt good. Almost that's like the a, clue. That's the clue? That's the clue from Audrey. Oh. There it is. I, I knew I wrote something down. It makes sense because Audrey is at the hotel. Mm-hmm. But how would you know that? Well, I, I'm, I'm, gonna I'm, put... I'm asking like in general, like, oh yeah, like how would the viewer know that that was Audrey, right? Uh, I, I think you could possibly make an inf- inference for what happens in a later scene when Audrey's at the diner, and all she can really do when she's talking to Donna is basically just talk about Cooper. I thought she was just like in love with him. I think. Oh yeah, no, I I think she, she definitely, definitely has a thing uh, for him. She's smitten. Is that the right word? <laughs> yeah. But that makes sense. I'm glad you pointed that out because I thought it was just some nefarious person with very pretty handwriting perfuming up envelopes. <laughs> uh, um <clears throat> this this next scene, this is spectacular. I think that this is I wouldn't necessarily call this horror um but it is it it's found footage vibes like a hundred percent it's definitely unsettling yes so bobby and mike pull up and mike takes out a retractable knife which is weird like yeah they're troublemakers but why would he feel that he needs it um and can i just say something about that shot real quick i would i know we haven't really talked too much about like any any standout imagery in this show but that that shot of um of uh of mike uh, flicking the knife open and it's just like the camera on the knife blade and only like the center of the frame is lit up with the knife and then everything else is dark around it it's such a beautiful shot it is do they still make those i i don't think i've ever seen one of them in real life in new jersey any kind of blade is like illegal like literally Ooh. you can't carry shit in new jersey Ooh. as a kid i had a retractable comb that felt cool <laughs> but new jersey is like you cannot carry a knife anywhere you go like it's oh. got to be less than three inches shit i didn't know that that's good to know thanks for telling me yeah um so yeah um they walk into the woods and they're looking for the football that leo was supposed to leave for them and Leo comes out from the darkness with a gun and asks for his money. While they're talking, they see a man standing behind a tree, and Bobby looks legit scared. Um, he asks if he came with anyone, and Leo tells him, never mind. So do you think Leo knows there's a person? Is he trying to act tough and just disregard their worries and act cool? Or what do you think? I'm tr- I've been trying to rack my brain to see if I can remember either a who that person is or two if it's ever even 
brought up again or alluded to. I cannot remember. It could possibly be James. Um, but I feel like this is too close to the time that James is at Donna's house. So I don't know if that would make sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind I kind of like the one thing that you that you wrote in the note. Or is he trying to disregard their worries and act cool? And I love this idea of something actually scaring Leo because I want Leo to feel fear every every moment of his life. Well, if he wants to act tough and scary, like he can't act scared. Yeah, he has to be the scariest thing there. Mm-hmm. So never mind that. I have a gun, and I mean it works because Bobby and Mike are pretty fucking terrified. Well, and this whole scene is is so tense because uh, with the gun, Leo has the flashlight shining on Bobby. And the light that is coming off of the flashlight covers Leo in like this dark red light. And Leo looks absolutely terrifying in, in, the, in these shots here. So clearly they were dealing drugs. Like it's not even implied anymore. They start arguing over the drugs and the money, and they blame Laura having the cash in her safe deposit box. They get into a little altercation, I guess. Leo needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was like one of the things that he's like, I need my 10000 because I need a new pair of shoes. And, and we, we, all, we also get, uh, we get two story-specific uh illusions here the first one is when leo uh recognizes and he says quote laura was a wild girl i don't Uh, know why this line was so effective to me because even even someone as as abhorrent and dingy as leo he recognizes that even laura was like a wild person yeah and And i don't think we really heard that from anyone up until now no how how does that so you said that was stand out to you how did how did that line make you feel either about leo his his inter his perception of laura or just how did that make you feel it was it was very much a confirmation because up until now laura was painted as this perfect do-gooder teaching a 27 year old that's still in like the third grade english lessons to josie you know everything else was just you know maybe she, everything was all right we're just interpreting it as crazy but here leo is the baddest of the bad that we've seen in Twin Peaks basically recognizing that this person was wild. Mm-hmm. Because up until now, it's been all hearsay. You know, you don't believe that she has $10,000 and cocaine and porn in her safe deposit box. Maybe there's an explanation. Maybe that belonged to someone else and she mm-hmm. was just forced into it. But here you have Leo who drives a truck named, uh, what was it, Pussy Something? Yeah, I was trying I was trying to remember beating his girlfriend, threatening people with a gun, basically asserting Laura was in fact a wild girl. Mm-hmm. And uh the other thing that I think is very important in this scene besides the whole them owing him money is how Leo says he knows Shelley is stepping out on him and yes. he his says old that lady yeah, he says that directly to the person that his wife is stepping out on him with. And you can kind of see the look of fear in Bobby's face. Uh, and I, I absolutely, I, I love also seeing Bobby scared as well. Do you think Leo knows? No. 
Because if he did, you think that it would be game over. Oh yeah, I mean at at this point, this this motherfucker owes you ten thousand dollars, and he's saying that he's probably not going to be able to get you the money because it was in his his deceased ex girlfriend his deceased girlfriend safety deposit box, and that's the person that your wife is stepping out on you with. Just kill him now. His old lady is giving it away. (laughs) (laughs) Like this sweet little maybe 19-year-old waitress girlfriend is his old lady. Shelly is so pure and so nice. And I, I don't know how she ended up with him, honestly. So Leo starts screaming at them to go out for a pass. Honestly, if I was in this situation, I would be completely confused. I wouldn't understand, like, what? <laughs> he starts screaming, run. That I would have understand, but yeah. go out for a pass. Like, that must be some high-level football gameplay logic. I, it wouldn't have read to me. It would have gone right over my head. I would have gotten shot because I wouldn't understood until he started screaming, run. You're saying and, run, and then you're saying go out for a pass. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, it, I would have needed an explanation. It wouldn't have worked on me. Um, but they do start running, and it was kind of scary. Oh yeah. Um, they were definitely terrified. Oh yeah, because it's this like this found footage POV cam of them sprinting through the woods, and it's only being lit up by a singular flashlight. It it's very unsettling. And there's a man behind you with a gun. Yeah. And possibly a fourth man man. that that no one knows who it is. But they get to their car and he throws the football and it lands directly on their hood. They get startled and they take off. Yeah, I would have taken off too. (laughs) I would have peeled the fuck out of there. So in very Finchian manner, we go from (laughs) scary to comical it's now early morning and we see big ed's hands are covered in oil like an obscene amount of oil yes yeah we later find out that his grease gun popped yeah which I, don't, I don't know what that means i what is a grease gun i i would assume it's for like uh for applying grease to car parts but is that like an oil can well it's, uh oil is something for- oils for the inside the machine grease is to to lube up the like the metal bearings and the connectors and i don't think those are actual terms but (laughs) so yeah he's covered in oil like a lot an obscene amount of oil and he's carefully like wiggling over open the doorknob he opens the front door to his house and tries to like a ninja quietly enter his home drapes is seen in like the living room rowing in aerobics gear like a maniac like a complete menace the most like 80s aerobics gear in the world yes crazy looking (laughs) and uh she has her drape runners carefully laid across the floor big ed just like bumbles across it and accidentally steps on one of them and drapes freaks the fuck out when she notices that he stepped all over the runners and got them covered with the oil like she loses her mind ed you make me sick (laughs) she's very mean she is she's very mean so she gets up from the rower Starts screaming, I was up all night working on that invention. I'm going to have the world's first 100% quiet runner. And he goes, well, I'm really sorry, Drapes. And she replies with, Ed, you make me sick. (laughs) She goes back to working out and does so, so hard, she bends the bars. You know how they say, like, a mother could lift a car 
off of her infant from like mm-hmm. fr- from all the adrenaline that that exact emotion is going through Nadine right now her baby her baby was <laughs> just killed in front of her and she takes it out on the poor bars of this this exercise machine imagine if like she had her hands around Ed's neck like she would have snapped it in half she could easily 1v1 big ed <laughs> Easily, <laughs> he's like two. He, he's two feet taller than her, but she's scrappy. Yeah, yeah, for real. So now we're in the woods, and you see the cops and Lucy. They're setting up like chalkboards. Oh, my favorite. There's like a string that they're measuring with like a measuring tape. Sixty and feet and six inches on the dot. That's that. That was the length. Yeah. Sixty feet. Yeah. Wow, it didn't seem that Cooper's far. Cooper's got an arm on him. And um, there's a milk jug that's placed on top of, like, a log. Um, but then we, we jump back to to Shelly. And she's just chilling in her flop house. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the door, like, there's a knock at the door, and it's Bobby. He has a lot of balls. He does. Because, he, he, you know, there was the one time he drove Shelly home, I think, in the pilot. And um, she's like, yeah. Leo won't be home, don't worry. And then Leo's home. Bobby says, I saw Leo getting diesel, so we should have 20 minutes. Like, no, no, don't fucking test that. Wait until she's at work and talk to her. Like, you have the perfect place to just chill safely at the diner. Yeah. And you choose to do this here. Idiot. (laughs) So he shows up at her house, and he's knocking. She opens the door. She doesn't let him in at first, but he convinces her to let him in. And he sees that she's all beat up. And she admits that Leo hit her. And um, she basically says, if Leo finds out about them having an affair, Leo's going to kill them both. They start making out, and that's the end of that scene. <laughs> I felt bad because we really didn't get to see her all beat up until now. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's pretty, it, obviously it's implied throughout, but this is the first time, and it's jarring, isn't it? Like, like, even though we know it's happening, to actually see it is very discomforting. Yeah, I feel bad for her, because she really is like this little tiny thing, and Poor Leo Shelley. is like this big oaf. Piece of shit. Big Ed shows up in the diner, and he asks Norma for a coffee, and he tells her he's in the doghouse again. And I guess she kind of, like, asks him why, and that's when we get the line. Well, I popped a grease gun, stepped on a drape runner, and all hell broke loose. Which is very accurate. I think doghouse is a term that should come back. I mean, I use it all the time. It's it's a great term. But, um, but yeah, no, and then, and then she, she tries to comfort him, and in your note is exactly what I was thinking. She's very touchy. Like, they need to keep their affair under wraps. And they're just in the diner with, like, ten other people in there. And she just starts to caress his face. I I don't understand this because I myself am, like, the opposite of a touchy person. I'm borderline, like, hapophobic where it's like, I will never touch another human being unless I have to. <laughs> and these people are just always touching up on each other. Like, Twin Peaks is really horny. It is. It, it. <laughs> like, you're just at the diner counter being felt up. Like, your face is being touched. Is that... That's not normal, right? No. Strangers no, don't... Not. Well, people don't touch each other's faces unless they're, like, dating. Yeah, I... 
I, I've been to the uh, um, the local sports bar uh, in my town at Friday happy hours, and our our the uh, the county mortician drinks there, and he's very much like a Big Ed character. And there's a bartender there, and I feel so bad for her because he feels I would say to try and connect this, he feels about her the way Big Ed feels about Norma, but she does not feel that way back. So she's and, like held hostage. Yeah, and it's like the roles are reversed where he tries to be touchy and that's when, you know, some of the other bartenders have to be like, dude, chill the fuck out. Um but uh See that's that's creepy and like yeah, see, my biggest fear. Yeah. Like that you are so out of touch that you don't know that you're making someone uncomfortable. Yeah. Well he he's also a mortician, so Or the county coroner, I'm sorry. Yeah, so <laughs> So he's like Leland Palmer, is he? No. Who's the more? Who's the um, mortician? Uh, Don is dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, see, that guy's chill. I mean, compared to like your corner. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're back at the woods again, and now the cops have everything set up, and we get into probably like the focus of the episode, which is Dale Cooper's weird intuitive way of pinpointing the killer and i i i am so awed by this scene the fact that this was on primetime television at some point in that that some production studio was like yeah the people are gonna love this and i i, I love it and it is just so anti it, it feels like such something that you would never see on cable television and it, it, it's so risky and weird and, and perfect this read to me like a lucy ricardo shtick type thing from i love lucy yes like this oh, okay. was this was like lucille ball level of this is how we're going to deduce who the killer is <laughs> but they do a good job of like tying it in like yes, it, yeah. it makes sense for dale cooper but let's paint the scene for everyone. Okay, so they're back at the woods, mm -hmm. and they're all in front of the chalkboard. The donuts are arranged in a very particular way again, similar yep. to the pilot episode. Lucy offers them all coffee, and they all immediately jump for it. <laughs> Dale takes a swig, spits, spits it, out, it out, and he exclaims, you do it. Damn good coffee. And hot. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I only wrote down damn good coffee. I'm assuming he spits it because it's hot. I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Everything about this scene is so perfect. <laughs> so Dale begins explaining what they've come out there to do, and he set everything up. And um, do you want to read that quote? I'm gonna I'm gonna lose the uh, uh, the the proper accent probably after a few words, but I will read it. By way of explaining what yeah, I already lost it. By way of explaining what we are about to do, I'm going to first tell you a little bit about the country called Tibet. Following a dream I had years ago, I've become deeply moved by the Tibetan people's plight and filled with a desire to help them. I awake from the same dream, realizing I had subconsciously gained knowledge of a deductive technique involving mind-body coordination operating hand-in-hand -hand with the deepest level of intuition. Yes, Dale. Banger. Exactly. I, I don't know if if either Mark Frost wrote that line or if David Lynch wrote that line. Whoever did, you deserve all the awards. So I did a little digging into this. Okay. Okay. 
David Lynch is very much about the weird meditative spirituality stuff. And Frost is all about the occulty side stuff. Oh, okay. So a so lot of the Red Room stuff line. is like Frost inspired. Okay. But a lot of like the weird Tibetan stuff is Lynch. Okay. That, that, that makes sense. Lynch does the whole transcendental meditation thing, dreams, all that weird stuff. So I think Dale Cooper is very much half of both of them. Okay. I like that. So Dale mentions Laura's diary entry and that she was nervous about meeting Jay. So on the chalkboard, all the Jays are listed. He has Deputy Hawk hold a bucket of rocks while wearing mittens. <laughs> he has Deputy Andy stand by the milk bottle he placed several paces ahead. And he has Lucy putting a check mark by the name of the person when he hits the bottle. So Dale's going to state the name to the rock before throwing it at the milk bottle to see if he can hit it. Why do you think he had Hawk wear mittens to hold the bucket of rocks? Uh, you know, I I don't know. Again, I, I think that's one of the things where I just accept it for what it is. So in my mind, to get into like the weird woogity stuff, yeah, I'm thinking... Dale has Hawk hold the bucket with mittens and he wears gloves so that he doesn't like impregnate or like Influence. contaminate okay. the rocks because okay. when he calls the name of the rock and throws it, I think he's kind of projecting that personality or character into the rock to see if it lands and he doesn't want Hawk to interfere with that. And it, Okay. But maybe like I'm just that. being really, I'm getting way too deep into it. No, I, I think that's kind of the point. But I think the mittens are just to not contaminate the stones. Okay. But still, weird. So first up, we have James Hurley. He's listed as the secret boyfriend, and there was no hit. Josie Packard, who was the English student for Laura, also no hit. All right, so Dr. Jacoby, psychiatrist. The rock hits the log. The bottle falls, but it did not break. The next is Johnny Horn, who is the special ed student completely misses and hits the garbage can do you think that was intentional I, I, <laughs> I was just gonna say that feels a bit um odd maybe yes. some unintended commentary there like was this them trying to be a, like make a funny i think so so next is norma jennings um she ran the meals on wheels program with laura it was another miss we got Shelly Johnson, the waitress. This one ricochets <laughs> off the tree hit, and hits Andy in the head. Andy quickly says it didn't hurt. It's another no hit. But we did get a line out of this. It, uh, Something about... I'm trying to remember it. It yeah, was like no sense. Uh, uh, there's no feeling where there's nothing at. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and poor Andy, he looks like he wants to cry. I can't imagine getting a rock thrown at your head and it hitting and not needing like going to the emergency room. So at this point, the sheriff kind of like leans over and he's like, did this idea all really come from a dream? And I don't think Dale responds. You know, not, not really. That's when the conversation with about uh, Jack with, with one eye comes up and, and Lucy has that great line. Uh, but there is no eye in Jack. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what? That kind of like flew over my head. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. Um, but then I think someone mentions that, you know, could it be Nadine because she wears an eye patch? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they say no and they mention the casino on the Canadian side. And Dale follows up with, they'll need to scope it out eventually. And Lucy's told to erase it from the chalkboard. The final person, Leo Johnson, who's the husband of Shelley and drives a truck, connection unknown, he throws the rock and the bottle is smashed. It kind of got ominous at that point for a moment. It did. It did. Because up until that point, it it all felt kind of like fun and games, more or less. And then as the audience, we know that Leo is now connected with Laura by the conversation he had with Bobby and Mike in the woods. And, you know, I can, can we talk about how this shot is over Cooper's right shoulder and he throws it in that shot and breaks the bottle. I don't know how many times they had to try that scene, uh, but it's impressive. Especially considering it was what? 60 feet, 60 feet, six inches. I wonder what the significance of 66 inches is. I, I had to go I had to go back and re-listen because I thought he said 66 feet and six inches uh, but he he does say 60 feet because um, yeah, like 666 would have been something I, I'm not too sure about the 60 feet I mean it's amazing that he was able to hit it so now we're back at the diner Audrey kind of like prances in she turns immediately to the jukebox when she walks in she turns something on some random like jazz song i don't know swing swing jazz something something very dreamy yeah something very twin peaksy (laughs) and donna is seen in a booth in the corner and audrey sits at the counter and orders a cup of coffee she makes it a point to mention that she drinks it black with no sugar donna walks over to say hi and audrey audrey was at church with them Mm -hmm. and donna kind of like makes it a point to ask why since she doesn't really go to church often and audrey wanted to go to visit laura and laura was like you weren't even friends with her like why did you want to go visit and her response was there are things i didn't like but she did help take care of my brother johnny so i sort of loved her for that so what do you think there were things that she didn't like about her uh i would say that i think so the the palmers aren't as we can see from their house they they're not poor but they obviously don't have a lot of money and i think that audrey kind of feels that she should be the most popular one at school the one that everyone fawns over she's she has all the money um you know she's she's good when she has to be but she's bad when she wants to be and i i think that that uh Audrey feels that Laura had the fame and popularity that she should have. I have a feeling Audrey disliked Laura because she knew Laura was involved in like the whole sex thing. And I know that she must know that Ben, her dad, was a part of it. That too. Because he does make that comment about, you know, Laura died. Three days ago. Three days ago. You died years ago. Yeah. I think he had a thing for Laura. Or at least maybe Jerry did, because she does ask, like, a couple lines later, something about her dad, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe she, there was, like, a little bit of jealousy there. 
I think that's also probably a good... Oh, um... Because of her dad's attention for her. Audrey asks Donna if Laura ever talked about her father. Yeah. Weird. Like, why? Donna asks what she meant when she asked that, and Audrey states her dad used to sing to her. Then Audrey gets distracted by the music that she put on and says it's so dreamy and starts to dance in place in the diner. <laughs> this girl is unwell. I just... <laughs> That was the first thing that came to my mind was literally, this girl is unwell. I, I'm going to start making it a point not to put any note, not to read your notes beforehand, because you have some great things in here <laughs> that just catch me so off guard. Well, I have to like, I like to point out what's happening. And then like my immediate knee jerk reaction is like this it. girl is unwell. <laughs> she seems to like revert to this because we saw her do this at the hotel. Yeah. And then now she's just doing it in the middle of the diner? She kind of has a, what is it, pick-me energy? Is that the right? For real. Like, she... Yeah. I mean, but clearly she has these really bad daddy issues. Yeah. Number one. And she does mention to Dale, like, emotional problems run in the family. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, honestly, maybe the girl is unwell. So we see now that Dale and the sheriff are at the police station and they're studying a piece of evidence that was found and it's a bloody piece of fabric mm -hmm. and it's pretty gnarly looking. It is. Yeah, it, it is. It is soaked through. And while they're examining this, a team of FBI agents arrive at the police station. There's three of them. One of them is Agent Albert Rosenfield. Ah, uh, Albert. I love Albert. They're carrying silver briefcases. They seem very professional, very, like, tight-ass. Albert is incredibly rude. And he says, like, a couple really snarky things to Lucy. And it's clear Lucy does not like him. Do you, uh, do you notice, did you notice what book she was reading when... I did. She was, she was reading a book on, like, Tibet. Yeah, yeah. And my question is, do you think she just happened to have this book on Tibet, or did Dale I Cooper lend it to her? Oh, I I thought you I, I thought you were going to ask if she was actually reading it. <laughs> yeah, I think she was reading it out of curiosity over what like took place earlier that day. But do you, where do you think she got it? I I would say that she that she I don't know because why would Dale be walking around with a book about Tibet? What, why wouldn't Dale be walking around with a book? That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, he's walking around whittling. <laughs> he says that he has a very big fixation on the plate of Tibet. So you know what? Okay, yeah, that is his book. I would think, like, Lucy, like, sweetheart of Lucy was probably curious after hearing the whole thing, like, what happened with Tibet? And Dale was probably like, I got the book for you. And he just pulls out this gigantic hardcover copy of Tibet. Lucy summons uh, the sheriff and Dale. They come out. It's very weird what's going on because... Albert is very rude, but Dale gets almost like excited. Well, I, and that's cause this isn't spoiling anything that that's just who Albert is. And after Truman kind of uh, Sheriff Truman stands up to him, I think the reason that, that Cooper does that thumbs up with the huge grin across his face, uh, I think that's just supposed to mean, uh, Albert likes you. You think? I think so. Yeah. Albert is, is I, I've seen very little of him only from this episode and he seems like a gigantic. Well, he is turd. He, he is definitely an ass. So Albert is very rude, uh, but Dale looks absolutely giddy. And that's when we get kind of like, 
a standout quote for the episode. The sheriff takes Albert to the side and basically tells him he's lucky he's good at what he does because no one can talk shit like that in his department. Or he'd be looking for his teeth two blocks up on Queer Street. And my note to this was just, okay, okay. like, what? <laughs> like, that's, it, it, it's up there with a the Bulgarian bidet comment at a convent. And um, the agents just leave to the morgue, and Dale gives the sheriff an excited thumbs up. So that was our introduction to Albert. Does does that line feel, because, you know, I, you rarely, you very rarely hear the word, queer used unless it's in a derogatory sense the only time the only other time i can really think is um as queer as a clockwork orange and that's you know referring to as weird as a clockwork orange so i don't feel like sheriff truman is saying that that we'd knock your teeth two two blocks up on weird street um so it does kind of feel a bit homophobic maybe i'm just reading into the line i wouldn't be surprised but that's just me and like cops Mm -hmm. and he's just trying to assert his dominance that's fair i took it as somewhat like derogatory um but i mean it's a 90s show yeah i think back then especially in the 90s queer was definitely like not the the reclaimed word that it is now so we see now big ed closing up the gas station and he goes home and as he walks in he hears drapes start screaming from another room Ed! and like you see the door open and she comes charging at him full speed and gives him a hug and she thanks him because he's done her a solid apparently the grease from earlier has made her silent drapes perfectly silent and she goes and demonstrate and exclaims we're gonna be so rich so clearly the oil that he dripped all over the cotton balls fixed her invention i'm happy for him I'm happy was for this him. necessary you mean the, this callback to the grease? <laughs> the scene? Oh, yeah. her. This is her character arc. And it's episode two or three, and she's peaked. She got what she wanted. So does Big Ed and Drapes, like, hit it big, and they, like, move to California, and they join, like, Mr. ShamWow and OxyClean oh, with you, their Drape invention? You have no... I, I could put $10,000 on the line to say in your wildest dreams you could never guess the direction that Nadine goes in. I'm very excited to see. (laughs) Is she going to be doing infomercials with her eye patch? No comment. Do you know anyone that still has drapes like that? Because I feel like back in the day, I remember them and they were loud. Yeah, I don't think they exist anymore. Yeah, weird. Why not? Is that just like... Because the nuclear family's deteriorating, okay? Oh, that, that, that was it. 100%. I feel like you don't see that anymore. Like, the, no. the little pull string things that just drag it left and right. Right? I, I haven't been in a house that has that. Yeah, no, I... Or, like, the plastic ones that turn. Oh, yeah. Wow, I haven't thought about those. Wow. The plastic ones that turn is not descriptive enough for like our listeners, but but I, I think I think they'll get what you mean. Like you would pull up and down, and they would like open or close, yeah. but they were loud and plastic. My old house had them; they were like gray. Maybe Nadine's onto something. Well, by now she's probably poor because they're obsolete. That's true, but maybe she made her money and got out while the getting was good. I mean, maybe they'll go back. 
we'll, we'll you know, they'll hey, be back in style. Back. Yeah. So now we're back at Catherine Martell's house. She's in her bedroom with Pete Martell, and she claims everything smells like fish. Pete responds back with, well, you could wash your socks separately, and which was res- like good. <laughs> he also responds back with, I had a problem with a fish. It took a liking to my percolator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Rest in peace, man. I love him. He is such a good actor. But yeah, then he... It, uh, he, he Oh, sorry. What? I was going to say, it's weird that Ben on the DL is with Catherine. Because Catherine isn't like the buxom beauty that you kind of see him go for at like the casino. Is he just I, using her? Uh, I I think that they're both kind of using each other to to literally and figuratively get their nut. Giggity. <laughs> Giggity. <laughs> um, um so she asks him about the FBI man and he tells her Dale mostly wants to talk with Josie and he mentions the percolator again. Catherine walks away and Pete slips a key to Josie outside and tells mm-hmm. her where she can find a ledger. Yes. And then we see Mrs. Packard opening up a safe in a wall and she pulls out two ledgers and she starts looking through them. That's all we really see out of that. And based on her reaction to the second one, there's something scandalous inside of it. Hmm. I wonder what it could be. So Leland Palmer now puts on a vinyl and starts staring at Laura's Fodor. Uh, Fodor. (laughs) Leland Palmer puts on a vinyl and stares at Laura's photo and says, Oh God, the phone is ringing. Have uh have you heard Pennsylvania Six Five Thousand before? No. Is that the song I plays? Yeah. Oh my God! It's such a banger. Pennsylvania Six Five Thousand. Well, he he really feels banger. it because he starts spinning around and groaning and moaning and swirling and twirling, and uh, Laura's mom comes in and tries to calm him down, and he like has a meltdown. Oh my and... God! Your note. Oh. Oh, your note just took me out. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned how Grace Zabriskie is a, a, a scream queen. The way that she delivers that line, I think it's the word house that she screams on. But that line is so guttural. The the Leland, what is going on in this house? I don't know. I couldn't take it seriously because in the just the previous episode, you're having a meltdown. <laughs> And you're going to throw that in your husband's face? Like, she's reacting to him overreacting. And she has the nerve to ask, what is going on in this house? Like, bitch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, stop it. You know. Oh, this isn't a mystery. Uh, your daughter just died. She was found in a bag. And you're hallucinating that there's a man crouched down next to your sofa. You know. And he's, like, freaking out, crying over the photo. And he cuts himself on the glass. Mm-hmm. from the photo breaking but and then he rubs the blood all over the face of his daughter Gross. that that photo like gets around they that use photo it every chance everywhere every chance they get that lore that photo of laura is everywhere um so we're now getting to the end of the episode and we see dale and he's in bed and the lighting like darts around we're taken to the red room and there's 
red curtains and a strange black and white flooring and a man is shaking in place facing away from view and then we see the creepy man that was hunched down and flitters of Laura Palmer's corpse you could read that line you're way better at it than I am uh okay hold on oh that okay through the darkness future past a magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds fire walk with me Ooh, i love it now there was there was a, a lot of disagreement about that one part of that line which was one chance out people aren't sure if it's one chance or one chance as in like to physically chant oh do you think it's one chance or do you think someone is chanting as in one chance out i don't know the subtitle because i watch everything with subs it said one chance as in not chanting but to take a chance both of them fit but if you think they about do. it through the darkness feature pass a magician longs to see one chance out as in the magician is chanting between two worlds i like that firewalk with me i like that because like i said frost was all about the occulty stuff mm -hmm. so it would make sense that there's one chance to take out you know you can die you get one chance at life or the magician is chanting to kind of get out of this dimension to get well, between the two worlds I also just realized I didn't finish the quote. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's it's fine because I kind of wanted to stop there anyway okay. because of that line that there's a discrepancy. Which one do you think it is? Do you think it's I want to go with chants, like like chanting. They I, definitely I'm, both I'm, fit. I'm going to I'm going to rewatch it and for the next episode if if I've changed my mind, I'll I'll I'll, I'll start the episode off with that because I, I I'm going to revisit that. Does the quote make like a repeat visit? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just going to, before we record the next episode, I'm going to go back to this episode and watch that scene again just to see if, with that in mind. This scene made the episode for me. Oh, it's, oh, it's haunting. Like, the whole Red Room ending, to me, made the episode. Is, is what made me want to continue the series. And uh, so, w within this quote, we also get the name of the one-armed man, uh, his name is Mike, and we also get the name of the gray-haired man that that Sarah saw, and someone else saw him. No, 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 it was just Sarah. Um, and we found out his name is Bob. So Bob is the one-armed man? Mike and is Mike... the one-armed man. Okay, and Bob was the one that was crouched down? Yes, yeah, the jump okay. scare. Um, do you want to finish the quote or do we want to move to the next part? Oh, yeah. Um, so the the end of the quote is, we lived among the people. I think you see convenience stores. We lived above it. I mean it like it is, like it sounds. I too have been touched by the devilish one, tattooed on the left shoulder. But when I saw the face of God, I was changed. I took the entire arm off. My name is Mike. His name is Bob. Bob asks the crouch man, Mike. Can you hear? Catch you with my death bag. You may think I've gone insane, but I promise I will kill again. And then a circle of candles blows out. Yes. What the hell is going on? 
dream logic. Uh, and I think uh, now that we know that Cooper's dreams actually lead to something, we can naturally assume that someone named Bob uh, and, and someone named Mike are going to, are somehow tangentially related to the mystery of Laura Palmer. I definitely think Dale is going places in his sleep. I think he's like dream walking or something or doing something like astral projecting. Yes. And he makes contact or Mike and Bob may make contact with him. But then when the circle of candle blows out, the connection is ended, but he's still left in another place. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're back at the red room again. And we see, like, Dale Cooper's profile. And we notice he's aged a bunch. And he's wearing a weird tie. He looks at maybe Laura Palmer. And there's a small man in a red suit. And he comments that it's not Laura Palmer, it's his cousin. And she looks exactly like Laura Palmer. Which is very dream-like logic to begin with. It is. You, you see a person that you recognize as a person and you're told that what you're seeing is basically just your perception of it. I, I think our brains just like have this limited capability and they just reskin people with skins that we already have in us. <laughs> so like you we're know, I, operating with a select amount of skins and our brain just assigns <laughs> those skins onto like different personalities in the dream space. So basically Fortnite is real in dreams exactly um so uh, the the most impressive thing about this is how the uh the guy that they're in the red room with uh he as any if you've seen the show you know he speaks uh he says his lines backwards and then the audio is reversed or they he does the scene backwards and the audio is reversed to give it this weird ethereal whooshing kind of sound and it is it's not only it's off-putting in a very positive way when i was in high school i was a menace so i would do this thing i would write all my test answers backwards okay i could only imagine what my teachers thought but i would literally like I was like, you're going to test me. I'm going to test you. And I would write all my answers backwards. I would do full paragraphs, everything backwards to the point where like, I was just thinking backwards. My insane fucking hated me. (laughs) (laughs) Like looking back, I was like, that's so cringe that I used to do that. But there was something like, you're going to test me. I'm going to test you. (laughs) Do you want to verify my answers are correct? You're going to have to do some fucking homework of your own. And I would do full paragraphs, essays backwards. Even, like, I, w- I would write my name, like, where you had to write at the top backwards. The date backwards. Drive them <sighs> fucking crazy. I don't know what to say to that. That is insane. That's clinically insane. I feel like the only reason they tolerated was because I went to private school. <laughs> oh, they're like, fuck, he paid. Damn it. <laughs> I could tell there was something weird going on with the line delivery. But I didn't know that he was really doing it backwards. Yeah, it just sounded like, weird. Yeah, especially if you watch his his movements as well. Uh, you you can 
it's i don't want to say it's clear but the the i guess the illusion that we're seeing is the movements in reverse yeah i wonder why i think they just wanted you to get the feeling that something was off oh yeah to show like we're in the dream space things are different even on a subtle level things are things are weird and speaking of weird um not laura palmer has a line uh that says um i i feel like i know her but sometimes my arms bend back (laughs) yeah fucking weird and then the little man's response is she's filled with secrets she's filled with more than just secrets we heard yeah in the previous episode yeah laura was a wild girl so music starts to play and there's a strobe light that goes off and the small man starts to dance. Does he actually have a name? Uh or is it a spoiler? I can't remember. Well, Laura, while she's dancing, Laura gets up, makes her way to Dale, leans down, kisses him, and whispers something in his ear. Dale wakes up startled, he gets on the phone and he tells Harry to meet him for breakfast at seven in the hotel lobby. And says he knows who killed Laura Palmer. He starts to snap his finger to the beat of the music from his dream. And that's the end. I, I love the snapping. I think it's great. Uh, he he does have a name. Uh, and I don't think it's a spoiler. It's Man from Another Place. Okay. So do I mean, that, that kind of confirms that, that they're in some like weird place then, I guess, right? No? Yeah. So I'm guessing Dale Cooper trusts intuition enough based off of the fact that he is using dream logic to find the killer earlier in the episode. And he also trusted enough that when he wakes up, he immediately calls the sheriff to be mm-hmm. like, I know who did this. I'm, I'm interested to see, to see your reaction to how things go from here on out. Now that you've been, uh, now that you've experienced the true depths of the weirdness that this show goes to. Does it get weirder? Yes, I would say so. I'm only going to be miserable if they dangle this in our face and for whatever reason, like, we get none of this ever again for, like, 12 more episodes. No, you won't have to really worry about that. Okay. I don't think I'm speaking out of tune there. Do we have a favorite quote for the episode? I mean, my favorite quote is sometimes my arms bend back, um, but also a fish took a liking to my percolator. I, I don't know if you had any. I don't know if I have an actual favorite quote. There were a couple. Also, Ben's quote, I didn't come here to lose my shirt. I came here to take it off. That's a good one. Honestly, I'd, I'd have to say my favorite quote would be the line that Mike and Ben. Was it Ben? What's his name? Bob and Mike. Through the darkness, future past. I like that whole thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that that that's really good. Actually, no, I, I say that one should get it because that reincorporates the fire walk with me into the story. It was very like mysterious and esoteric. I liked it. So, any character standouts for you? Uh, I want to say, I think I would have to say. Albert, just because I I like his character. I know that a lot of people don't like him. I, I, I'm going to have to just go with Albert. Just a flat Albert on that one. I have got to give it to Drapes again. Okay. Drapes is winning my heart. Like, when she, like, bends that bar and has a heart attack and 
Does a full like 180 10 minutes later. Iconic. Yeah. Drapes is. Drapes doesn't get enough attention. So who do you think did it? That's a hard one. I feel like. It's too obvious to say it's Leo. It's too obvious. And it's too obvious to say it was Mike and Bob. There's no way David Lynch is just going to be that on the nose. There's no way. So, and he can't be Jerry. He was in Paris. Um, I don't know. Uh, but at the same time, it's too on the nose, but it's got to be Leo, right? Who else could it be? Okay. I don't think it's Leo, but I think it's Leo. Okay, that's fair. I just don't think David Lynch or Mike Frost would make it that obvious. Okay. But, I'm not I'm not going to say anything. But operating off of the information that I have in front of me for these past 3 episodes, I got to say it's it's got to be Leo, Mike or Bob. Leo, Mike or Bob. Okay. All right. I mean, what was the point of Dale Cooper's whole mystical Tibetan shit if it doesn't work? That's a good point. That's a good point. So that's what I'm going to give it. So rating. What do we want to rate this episode out of? Are we going to do huckleberry pies? Are we going to do milk jugs? Are we going to do... Rocks to the head. Rocks to the head. That's a good one. Arms bent back. <laughs> bent arms. Um, red runes. Uh, I think huckleberry pies. Okay. If I mean, we also that. do have brie and butter baguettes. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what it is. I don't know why we didn't think of that originally. All right. So what would you give this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 brie and butter baguettes? Oh, 10 out of 10 brie You're butter baguettes. You're sticking to the 10 out of 10 still. I am. It's not going to be like that the whole time. I can promise you that. But I'm going to give this one a 9.5 brie and butter baguettes out of 10. You gave the last one a nine? A nine. Oh, it's going The Red up. Room sold me. I like the weird mystical shit. So the more of that we get, the higher the score will be. Okay. Then it's going to be going up. But I, I really did enjoy this episode. I really enjoyed the previous one. And I thought this one was better than that. Hell yeah. I love to hear it. So I'm looking forward to the next episode. I, I better get my killer. <laughs> At 7 a.m., at the diner, I need to know who the killer is. Diane, we've reached the end of another episode of HPTV. Remind me to try a brie and butter sandwich on a baguette. I've heard good things. I've learned of a casino called One-Eyed Jacks, but more on that later. Nadine figured out how to make her drape runner silent after Big Ed spilled grease on them. They're going to be millionaires, Diane. Remember my Tibet dream? We have some new leads because of it. Also, remind me to buy a few extra donuts for Andy. I hit him square in the head with a rock. Oh, and we need to talk about a dream that I had. A small man danced and introduced me to his cousin, who he says looks like Laura Palmer. Until next time, Diane. Oh, and how could I forget? I know who the killer is. He better let us know in the next episode. <laughs> You better let us know. We'll see. Right. We'll see. Well, that wraps up that episode. We'll see you guys in a week. Make sure you 
enter for that contest. You don't have that much time left. Twin Peaks Day is coming. Until next time. Bye. Bye. I used to be I used to be I used to be